All right, guys, very special show today. It is the GPP Strategy Show. I have Colin Drew from Daily Roto on. We're going to talk about the week three slate, talk some more macro, you know, GPP game theory type thoughts. I'll also pick his brain about showdown. Let's do it. I suffer from a debilitating condition known as atropic shockitis. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. If I just go the other way in that 66, I win all the money. All the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Process over results. Illuminati make a bitch go crazy. I don't know which one of these my baby. Bust out AP. Coach five bullets in your head like KD. Bust it, bust it. Bitch go bust it. And I had 10 pints with me in Russia. Hey, everyone. All right, here we go. New intro for the GPP show. Shout out to my guy, Luke Reynolds, for helping edit that for me. Colin, how are we doing today? I love it, man. That intro was fire. I'm fired up. That's right. You know, we had to uh, get back to our, our GPP roots there. Uh, and of course, no better way to do that than talking strategy with you. How, how has the season been going for you so far? Not too bad. I got a, I was close to a huge week one. Kamara put a goose egg up in the second half and then Terry Hill just absolutely buried me. So I felt really good week one, felt really close. And last week was just a disaster. So we're grinding. We still got 15, 16 weeks left. So we'll be good. Are you, um, what kind of, are you playing MME more single entry three max stuff for main slate? Are you playing everything? Yeah. So I do the MME on FanDuel and then on DK focus on the single entry three max uh, power sweeps uh jukebox so it's kind of a mix of some of those are large-ish fields like a couple thousand but not the lotteries as, as much on dk so definitely some small field strategy i think we can go over there because those are more reg filled tournaments and I, I try to separate like the way i think about what tournaments i'm playing is like the audience and i think uh fanduel definitely playing against the casual players in the three max stuff i think usually you're playing against people who are listening to a lot of this content yeah. Are you, do you hand build your three max and single entry lineups? Or are you like creating a set and then just kind of dumping them into those contests? Um, closer to hand build. I guess it's like a, like a opto build and then like self complete by hand. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And so, it, and because I do feel like that is one of the edges in the, in the more small field stuff is to really catering your exposures to kind of the, the field size and, and how, those players in those super small field stuff get steamed more and like are do you find yourself trying to take advantage of those more kind of micro dynamics yeah it's definitely a struggle it seems like even more of a struggle when you get to the higher stakes i guess when it's like a multi-thousand person field i feel like it's at least a little bit predictable um as far as potential pivots but yeah, always trying to leverage ownership especially within like game stacks i think is pretty good um, got some weird examples for week three. I'm excited to throw at you later too, as far as how like these reg filled fields might approach game stacks this week. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think trying to build for a specific contest is always the way to go. Uh, I do need to alert you to something that's transpiring. The people are not going to let you live down saying you self complete by hand, <laughs> Ruby. So you, you have to live with that going forward. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, I obviously want to talk to you a little bit about showdown stuff. I assume you're still in the full-on MME streets for that as well? Yeah, still been doing MME. Managed to lock Andy Dolan as my MVP on FanDuel last night and still barely double up. So it's been a grind. I mean, it's like when I first started, I was on this unsustainably hot run where I was I was winning like once a month for like a year and a half. And then it's been about a year and a half since I've last won. So we're grinding. A lot of stuff's changed there, but I'm still in it every single week trying to think through the different layers, the edges, and how to attack it. Uh, I feel okay about my process, but it hasn't hasn't clicked yet this year. Yeah, and plug the uh, the premium showdown pod that you guys do. Yeah, so I do a podcast with Brian Jester from Occupy Fantasy. We do that Mondays and Thursdays for the primetime slates for subscribers of both Daily Roto and Occupy. I, I like it because Brian plays very differently than me. So we both approach things in a thoughtful manner, but can, but very different as far as the strategies. And I think it provides a good balance to people to like think through how they might think about approaching things. Um, so yeah, and then we have a, we have write up obviously projections, optimizers, ownership projections for all that stuff too. But the podcast with Brian is one of my favorites just because of everything I can pick up and learn from him too. 
Yeah, for sure. It's a great mix. Um, yeah, I wanted to just start to kind of pick your brain a little bit now that we're, you know, two weeks into the season. And if there are any kind of new metas, new trends that you're noticing with the field this year that might be different in years past, anything that you're maybe adjusting to trying to take advantage of, or is it kind of business as usual in these GPP streets? Yeah. So one of the things I guess specific early in the season, I think we always have to think about is there's like different levels of variance in DFS as far as the projections. You know, if a wide receiver is projected for 25% of targets, like he's always going to have some variance um, regardless. And even if that projection input is perfect. And then early in the season, you also have the variance with projection inputs where some teams might feel really good about the structure of like the Kansas City Chiefs, like passing offense. Whereas other teams, you're still trying to think about that. And so there's more variance as far as the projection inputs early in the season. I don't think we really know like the roles. We feel a little bit better, but it's probably not till like week five. We feel great about that. And so trying to take that into account a little bit as I go through my weekly process, figuring out which teams I feel really confident with the projection inputs versus ones that might want to be a little more cautious on um, and how that relates to leverage points, I think is pretty good. I guess one of the other things I started to notice last season was like, in some of these smaller fields, like cash game plays leaking over, and then specifically in, if some value plays directly align with game stacks. Like I had this slate with the Kansas City Chiefs, New York Jets last year, where after lock, I pulled the data and it was like 80, 85% of Chiefs stacks had brought it back with like one of Mims or Barrios, I think were like the punt values of that slates. And that was pretty jarring to me just because I know it's still like probably plus EV to do game stacks with bring backs in like casual tournaments, but it seemed like maybe the field had gotten a little bit carried away with like forcing the bring back. If it happened to overlap with like a core cash game construct, I think last week the Cowboys chargers game was a good example where that sort of happened as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought too. And I, I was talking about it with brick and I talked about it with Bime for last week too. And I've been trying to untangle that as well, where it's so easy to get caught up in double stack, bring back, you know, get your correlations, all of that. But then thinking it through, you know, if there are values that are so great, like in week one with all the cheap 3K wide receivers, that the correlation boost you're getting from the bring back doesn't make up for a better projection just in a, you know, a one-off play. Is that how you kind of think about when a bring back makes sense? Is it is it all contextual to how much value there is on the slate? Yeah, I think like theoretically, the sharper the pricing, the more correlation matters. If it's really tight pricing, correlation is going to matter more than if it's, you know, maybe FanDuel pricing is a little softer. Correlation, there's it's half PPR instead of full PPR. There's no bonuses. So maybe correlation still matters there, but not quite as much. You can use the key boost. Um, but I think the the pricing structure and then i guess the other thing that i've been wondering about is if we get into like week three examples like if lineups with like tom brady or matt stafford are going to play van jefferson scotty miller at a, like a disproportionately high level as their punt wide receiver um because if stafford brady lineups like use van jefferson 80 percent of the time and they never used michael hardman or kj osborne like that to me also feels like a potential leak and that's not necessarily going to happen in the Millie maker, but I do think in some of these higher stakes stuff that people are starting to maybe bring it back a little bit too much in that environment. Yeah. And so just to kind of circle back on that point you made about ownership kind of following kind of cash game builds, I, I heard you bring that up on your podcast with Davis and it was super interesting. It is the thesis kind of like if there is a value play from, like you said, a popular game that the field is just going to naturally gravitate toward a stack around that because they feel good about the bring back play relative to just being kind of thinking about it from a correlation. Like you're getting the correlation and the value element married together and it, then it becomes really chalky. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if you guys uh, run the Sims, have your ownership projections updated, but you know, it does seem like to some degree that there are going to be some of the, like the, the most popular roster construction this week, I think will include like one punt wide receiver, whether that's one of the Jags guys or Van Jefferson or KJ Osborne. Um, but then within, I guess, like if you wanted to still game stack the, the Bucks game, I don't know if a disproportionately high number of people who game stack that game use Van Jefferson or Scotty Miller 
as their bring back, then potentially there's like ways that instead you pull play like the KJ Osborne, Michael Hardman within that same stack environment. You just uh, you just don't bring it back and get a lot of leverage to the field if the the punt happens to just be, be able to outscore and none of the punts go off as like a huge ceiling game. Yeah. Uh, before we kind of get into some of the the specifics of this slate, I wanted to go back because I know in your guys's optimizer at Daily Roto, and I've heard Davis mention it many times about the key boosts and stuff. And I was yep. curious because about this idea of quantifying how much correlation is worth on top of the projection. Now, I, I believe with your guys's key boost, you can just tweak it to however much of a boost you want. But have you looked into how much that correlation is generally worth from just like a pure projection number? Yeah. the So there's like an old school stacking matrix on four for four. If you Google yeah. like DraftKings stacking matrix, like it, it comes up and it's like maybe the um, like quarterback opposing wide receiver one correlation might be like 0.15 or, or something like that. And maybe for wide receiver two or wide receiver three, it's like 0.1. That's definitely going to vary based on team. One way I've thought about doing it is like using like half of the target share projection. So like for someone like Keenan Allen, maybe you use a 0.15 correlation for the bring back or the key boost, but somebody like Mike Williams, who has a lower target share projection, maybe use like a, a eight or, or 10% um, instead, just because the higher volume guys should be more correlated to the game environment. I think that all that correlation work is done in like just average projections. One of the hard things is like at the ceiling level, do correlations look different than they do on average? And that's something I haven't like fully wrapped my head around. Yeah. And I think just the simple way I've been thinking about this, and I think it does make sense if people are gravitating toward chalk, bring back or game stack is like the correlation is a boost to the projection but the ownership is like a negative boost to it. Yeah. That's bad. And so even though you might be getting a correlation boost, if the whole field's doing it, it might just wash out. And then it's just, it's just back to its, yeah. its natural state. It's and so probably, being very cognizant, are you, is that boost actually helping you out or is it getting washed out? And probably, I guess two years ago, I've read this preseason strategy article. I went through, I looked at the value of a bring back and what percentage of time, if, a, if, if you assume a game stack hits, what percentage of time a bring back hits like like a it was either like a 4x or a 20 plus point performance compared to the average player and i found it was it was about twice as likely to hit as an average similarly priced player if um assuming your game stack hits the bring back is basically two times as likely to hit so that's a really strong value proposition unless the field is playing it like eight times as often and so that's where i think there is sort of this level and some of the really plugged in fields where people are listening and consuming content where potentially it's happening a little bit too much. So how do you handle that for both? I think MME stuff and for uh hand build. So with MME, you know, a lot of times people are setting up their rules. Yeah. Are you just running multiple sets without a rule forcing a bring back or are you making so that, contextual decisions about specific games? And so I, in MME, I always just run with the key boost rule because I figure I'm playing against the casual field. I want to incorporate the correlation, but FanDuel pricing software. So I don't want to force it in there on hundred percent of my lineups. So I just use the key boost for MME. And I feel like that's probably good enough against the casual field and the, the uh, three max streets. I think that's where you have to be a little bit more, I guess, thoughtful about it. And like, if your whole game stack is already pretty leveraged on the field, you're going with a Kirk cousins, Viking stack or whatever. And, the wide receivers are all going to be like five to 10% owned. Like maybe you just play like the optimal correlation in that one. Cause you've already got so much leverage on the field. If it hits, you might as well just be right. Whereas maybe if you're going with like a chalkier game stack, that Rams bucks game, maybe that's where you need to be a bit more thoughtful, probably have to differentiate your running back positions there. Um, just because like this, like Chris Godwin, Cooper cup will be so popular. But then also the way that um, you're using bringbacks there, maybe that's where you need to differentiate a little bit because you've kind of got this like chalky construction to, to begin with and you need to find a way to diverge a little bit from what the field is doing. 
Yeah. And so how do you then think about it from a hand build perspective? I, I felt very rusty uh, last week. I fat fingered my main lineup because I was trying to get all my puzzle pieces together and it ended up running a, a naked Jalen Hurts lineup because I couldn't get the stack to fit and I panicked and I submitted and it ended up being my best lineup and that's how DFS works. But <laughs> I, I'm curious from that because, you know, I have my stacks that I like, some with bringbacks. I have my mini correlations, the secondary correlations. And then I'm sitting there staring at like three or four blank lineup screens and trying to get these pieces to fit. I think naturally I do gravitate toward putting in a stack and a bringback as the start. I mean, how would you think about that as far as building and then working toward knowing if the bringback makes sense? Yeah, it's definitely, and that's part of the reason I, tried to simplify my process for the different sites where it's like just MME over here, just three max here, usually build like a co three different cores for the three max. And then I'll diversify maybe throughout the stakes. So just start with like the best team, uh, the best core game stacks, my three favorite ones, build the best teams around those. And then maybe I'll do two V twos throughout like, you know, the 150 down to the 50 to the 27 to the three and get some diversity that way. Um, I usually start with like the, the optimizer template though. So I will create the groups and rules in the optimizer, run that and input basically the optimal lineups for like the three different game stacks I like the best. And then you're just kind of reviewing those um, within the context of the slate and trying to decide whether or not you want to like force the bring back or maybe the bring backs in there already and uh, you feel like you're chalky at running back chalky at the game stack. And so like removing the bring back and finding differentiation there maybe is one of the other ways you can go. Um, and would you say the reason or a big benefit of doing that first pass with the optimizer like that is because maybe you're at risk when you're hand building, even if you have correlations that you might just be giving up way too many projected points versus yeah. the optimizer is going to jam in the most possible. And then you can make tweaks from that. Yeah. I, like I'd be worried if I was like just accidentally giving up like five or 10 points from what's optimal based on like the hand building logic. And I'd rather just start with what's optimal and then decide I can deviate off that for specific reasons. Yeah. I think, I think I need to bring that back into my process. I was doing that more last year. Um, and this year I just have it. I've been building out my spreadsheet, getting familiar with uh, the Sims and all of this stuff and uh, trying to add on. But I think I need to do that because I was just, pretty strictly hand building on Sunday morning. And not that I think I, I gave up a ton, but I do think that's a risk in just purely hand building. Yeah, I think it it is for sure. And then there are some times where, I mean, you can still do it even if you're optimizer building and hand editing. And there's still times where you like, it locks your game stack hits. They're all like two to 5% owned. And then you also pivoted the running back there. And the best running back play just goes off. And you're like, well, I just got so much leverage with like these four spots in my roster. Like, why did I also take a massively suboptimal leverage play at the running back position? And so I think that's one of the other reasons, I guess, to start with like an optimizer build and then tweak from there. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's uh, I think that's a good note and uh, something we should be incorporating. How do you think about... You know, I feel like another situation that's been coming up a decent amount that kind of always makes my head hurt is when you're getting a couple, maybe they're one-offs, maybe it's a bring back, but two wide receivers from the same team um, and what they could be at similar price points or even different price points and neither are catching a ton of ownership and you like the game, you like that spot. Is that a situation, I, I'm trying to think of a good example, like it could be a Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, where those guys aren't catching a ton, or it could be like a Broncos situation from last week where neither Sutton or Hamler, and I'm thinking of it like I ended up going with Hamler, Sutton's the one who goes off, and I think I just gravitated toward Hamler because he was the cheaper guy. Do you have a way of like thinking through those scenarios where you like a specific situation but don't have necessarily confidence on which of those players is going to be the right pick yeah i think that's where i'll try to diversify through like the stakes and so last week one of the game stacks i liked was tennessee seattle and so you we had usually i'll look at the leverage scores at wide receiver and i'll build backwards from there and so we had really high leverage scores on aj brown julio jones tyler lockett and a little bit on dk metcalf the field started to pump Metcalf a little bit as the week went on. But those, but there were 
four high leverage scores within one game environment. So that immediately to me became a pretty enticing game to stack. And so you could start with like a core game stack with like Tannehill, AJ Brown, Julio, and Lockett. And then you could potentially in the $27 or there's like $250 power sweep. So maybe in the smaller field power sweep, you play Metcalf over Lockett and you're able to kind of diversify there. Or if you're talking about one-offs, maybe like this week, you like Marvin Jones and LaVisca Cheneau and you've got a game stack and you're playing a fourth wide receiver. You play one of them on your core team and you just diversify off that position with the second team um, as you go down in stakes. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And that it, it's always, uh, I was talking about this in the Discord uh, uh, last week with people and it's so tough because at the beginning of the week, I'm always like, uh, I just want to play a few teams. I want to be dialed in, make the best possible teams. And then you start getting to those diversification spots and you're like, man, I'd really like to bring one back with Hamler and one back with Sutton, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have enough lineups to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely a bit of a battle. I'd say probably the, the area I feel like I have the hardest time working in is when you get like correlations in a game environment you like, but you're not stacking that game. Mm. So like, Last week, I tried to force in like Debo Samuel and Devonta Smith, and um, I felt like I wanted that correlation, but I didn't want to stack the game. I didn't want to play Jimmy Garoppolo. I was a little concerned about Hurts compared to some of the other quarterback values. So that's, I feel like that's one of the opportunities for correlation that is hardest for me to work in is when you have good correlation between a couple players in the game, um, but you're not stacking that game is still trying to like be able to get exposure to the upside case there. Um, even if it's not part of your game stack. Right. Where you're saying it's like, it's a narrow, like when you're doing those secondary correlations, it's a little bit of a, a tight thread to needle in that it's like, I need these two guys to go off, but I don't want the game to go off to an extent where I should have just game stacked it and not picked my spots. Yeah. And it's also like impossible to like, create not impossible but it would be very laborsome and an optimizer to create rules that said that it's easy to tell the optimizer if your quarterback is this double stack him and key boost the opposing wide receiver one 15 percent it's a lot <laughs> harder to to then take like skill position players that correlate with each other and tell it rules to do that outside of a game stack environment yeah yeah, I ended up doing, I mean, I was trying to get a hurt stack. I feel like some of those rushing QBs make that even tougher because I, I think if I was looking at, you know, that Smith uh, and you said Debo, I would have been tempted to just make that a Hertz team. But uh, was there was there anything driving you off of Hertz in that specific situation? I just, just I was like looking to double stack other games yeah. with the higher rated leverage scores. Um and it, but that's it's for sure hard. It's it'll be like I mean Justin Fields I guess maybe in a similar situation this week, pretty good value at quarterback. Like there probably are lineup constructions where you could game stack certain games, but then just swap in Justin Fields at a cheaper price, maybe Cole Komet at tight end. You still have game stacks um, within your overall lineup. You just don't have the quarterback attached to them because you're trying to pay down. Uh, like I think there's some potential edges there i just like can't um figure out the right process to like when they're optimal and when they're not yeah i see Corey in the chat saying i might just only play chief stacks on sunday i feel like this is always a thing that happens in the first like four to five weeks of the season where your brain is just like do i just play the best plays i mean the 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 uh the kyler murray double stacks the patrick mahomes double stacks they just have been hitting and then whether it's ownership or price constraints, you end up talking yourself out of it. Where are you at as far as I, I, I mentioned to you, you know, Leone's turned me into this uber contrarian to the point where I sometimes miss these just absolute obvious spots are, are where are you on that spectrum of like hyper contrarian versus play the best plays? I'm probably halfway between like, I'm not at the Ronald Jones and high stakes level of <laughs> contrarian, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to get like at least four roster spots differentiated. So if it's, if it's um, the passing or the game stack, then I feel pretty good just playing the best plays at running back there. Mm -hmm. If um if I'm playing some weird running backs, maybe I'm, I'm fine playing the best game stack in that environment. Yeah, this this week feels weird at uh, running back. I mean, yeah. it doesn't seem like anyone's going to really get over twenty percent in MME. Are you seeing that? 
Yeah, I, I can't. Dalvin Cook, I think, is the hardest one because if you took like the injury off the paper and you just had like his workload projected in there, I think you'd be 20 to 30. But um, a combination of that injury plus what Derrick Henry did last week, maybe they, those guys split it. Um, so I, I tend to agree. I, I thought those would be, I thought Dalvin Cook would be the highest owned, but maybe the injury stuff like just splits it between him and Derrick Henry. What do you, what do you what do you have for Henry's ownership right now? Um, let me just pull this up. So I, I will caveat this by saying that it's always much more accurate on Saturday once yeah. all the competitor projections are updated and um, you know the injury reports are clear. But we've got him at fourteen point eight right now. That's what I, I I had aggregated a few and had it at fourteen percent. I mean that's kind of wild to me because I mean wouldn't you say two years ago coming off of that game 30. he would. 30 35%. Yeah. It's it's crazy and I feel like a similar he still dynamic. could be in like the the milli or something maybe. Um it's hard to it is sometimes we underestimate like the the casual players willingness to click game logs but I, I think you're probably right. Like it's just changed so much as far as how much content's out there, what percentage of the field is playing with content. Yeah, and like, I mean, I'm looking at the Seattle wide receivers, Metcalf and Lockett within 100 in salary, very similar ceiling projection, and also going to catch similar ownership. I'm seeing like 9 to 10%. Again, you would have assumed like two years ago, Lockett would be 25% and DK would be 5 Yeah, so I, I actually like last week just had this epiphany that like title Lockett was just not going to be owned, even though he had went off for two touchdowns, hundred plus yards. It was like DK Metcalf was more popular in season long drafts, best ball drafts went way earlier. And all of the people who saw Lockett go off were just like already licking their chops to play DK Metcalf just. And so you could actually get like the most leverage if you wanted to stack the Tennessee game by playing Julio Jones and title Lockett. Yeah. Rather than AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. Um, so people are, there's a little bit of that going on as well. I think I would say like Metcalf will still be more popular than Tyler Lockett in like a high stakes tournament. I know. I think you're right. And it's just, it can't happen three times, right? Yeah. It's because we got, you know, Davis Maddock out here just always saying alpha uh, on Twitter and no one wants to play the beta who keeps scoring all the points. Um, Go ahead. His mind's just too buried by NFTs now. You just can't. Dude, he, he's he's a pillar of the NFT community in my Discord now. In like two weeks, uh, I mean, it's, it's out of control. Um, Sam asks here, who who are the chalk tight ends this week? I'm seeing Hawkinson and Higby. Anyone else I'm forgetting? Um, pull this up. I don't think there's going to be anyone that is excessively popular. Like Kelsey will take some ownership just because he always does. Um, but Higby, I guess people are moving off a tiny bit off of last week. I don't see too many overwhelmingly popular tight ends. Yeah. One of the things gonna... I like to do. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'd like the cat to get an understanding for like, I don't play cash. I obviously talk to folks who do, whether it's Davis or like Drew and Leone. And, but I also, you can optimize and optimizer on the public ownership. So you could, try to generate the highest possible ownership lineup. And a lot of times that'll funnel you pretty closely to like a one V one or two V two from what a lot of the, the pros are using for their lineups. And that helps me a lot too, just get an understanding of like, what is the overwhelming consensus roster construction this week? Yeah. And I just pulled up uh, just some of the top optimals here with the run, the Sims projections, just under that same idea to see, you know, what's showing up a decent amount and seeing uh, a lot of variation at tight end. And also surprisingly a lot of double tight end lineups, uh, which uh, that are, is your optimizer getting any of that with the projections? So it does sometimes if I do, if I do like the optimal just on public owns, it will sometimes do that. I usually uncheck tight end and flex just because like what, like five to 8% of the field, I think uses tight end and flex. Almost nobody in cash will ever use tight end and flex. So a lot of times I'll uncheck that and then I'll try to rerun it. And uh, seeing a lot of that, that Tampa LA game, especially if Antonio Brown's out, you're going to see a lot of Chris Godwin's um, you're going to see a lot of Cooper cup in those uh, lineups, I think. And then, Maybe a, a little bit of Higby. I'm trying to understand. 
like if people are actually going to play like Van Jefferson in that game or not, because uh, he was one of the other guys. If you had to punt a wide receiver position, him and KJ Osborne was seeing as getting like a little bit of run this week. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, you mentioned at the top too. I'm curious between Van Jefferson and I assume Scotty Miller is going to be the go-to with Brown out or people. Who's the other guy? Tyler Johnson, maybe. Yeah, I, like last year with Brown out, it's like Scotty Miller was like a 12% target guy. And Tyler Johnson was like 4%. They got like the Jalen Darden guy who yeah. may be active. He's like a 1% or 2% guy. I don't think it's just, I don't think Scotty Miller is just going to take like 18% of targets though. Yeah, no, I agree. Scotty Miller uh, would seem to get loose downfield too. Kind of, I feel like I like that kind of boom bust proposition. Yeah, he'd be a pretty interesting uh, one off or pretty interesting bring back candidate for like Stafford stacks or something. And do you think that is that the game you are? projecting to be the most chalky as far as from a game stack perspective it, it seems like it because uh i think right now you tell me if your stuff's different but i think right now godwin cup and keenan allen seem like the probably the highest owned wide receivers um and then maybe uh so i, I think that would bring game stacks into into play pretty squarely there maybe I don't know where where Ty, Tyree Kill, Keenan Allen, that'll, I guess, be like a popular correlation as well. Just a little hard to fit in. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I This one is weird to me. I hadn't I hadn't seen uh, Cole Beasley getting a, a ton of uh, love, but uh, he's definitely showing up here as a popular guy. Is that checking out for you? That would surprise me a, a little bit. But, yeah, um, I think that seems high uh, to me. T Higgins, it sounds like, is is doubtful. I wonder if that gives some pretty okay. big boost to Boyd, uh, Boyd and uh, Chase. Yeah. It, and same with Deontay Johnson. It sounds like he's on the wrong side of questionable as well. Okay. Yeah. I, I was on a call before this, so you might have the, the latest morning practice reports. I definitely think uh, like any of these offenses, I mean, Tampa was one of them with, with Brown, right? Godwin Evans Brown. Then you have, yeah, Deontay Johnson, Claypool, Juju and Boyd, uh, T Higgins and Chase and all those guys were like all, you know, early or mid rounders in fantasy drafts. And if you project the more condensed offense, like it's really easy for like the, the, the value guys to pop, I think in those projections, uh, like once thing, you remove one of them, it's just going to boost both the other guys and it's, it's hard to get them out of there. Yeah. How, how do you think, because that, I feel like, someone like Chase Claypool this week is a pretty big riddle because on the one hand, you have a, a, a basically a, a barely walking Big Ben who can, who can barely throw <laughs> out there. On the other hand, you remove Deontay Johnson, you up Claypool's targets share a little bit. He starts to look pretty interesting. Yeah, one of the things I've felt like is if, the, if there's been this like injury situation that builds up all week and then a player's ruled out, like Dalvin Cook, for example, like, this situation's kind of been building up all week. If he's ruled out, it'll probably be well. If he's ruled out ahead of time, like the like a Schefter bomb on Saturday night, then there's been enough build up there that Madison will take a ton of ownership. I think it's probably less true with these like Steelers wide receivers. There hasn't been that much build up about Deontay Johnson missing or about T Higgins missing. And if those guys are questionable going in and they're inactive, I don't think the field responds quite as aggressively to that at like a at lock as they would if like a star running back is out. And so I try to play, especially in MME, I try to play those situations a little bit more aggressively than I would otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm starting to see some love in the chat for this Baltimore Detroit game. Uh, I also, it, it does seem like Lamar is going to project pretty well. Do you think this could end up being a trendy stack, especially with Hawkinson or Swift, both looking like nice bringbacks? Right now at quarterback, so quarterback ownership in general ends up the most diversified of any position. Um, we've got Lamar at 10% and right now Kyler and Mahomes at like seven. Mm. I sometimes struggle. That's like what the math says. I sometimes struggle with the fact that like maybe Kyler and Mahomes are more stackable. So maybe that boosts them in tournaments a little bit more than just what the projection said. Uh, the hard thing with Lamar is like, do you stack him? How do you stack him? I've got him projected for like 56% rushing attempts. And so not as many passing attempts for Lamar. I like the Lamar Hollywood Brown stack a little bit. I definitely don't trust any of the Detroit wide receivers to, to bring it back. And 
that price tag on Hawkinson, I guess I would rather just like punt the position or get up to like uh, someone with a, a huge ceiling like Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And also uh, Marquise Brown, another one the Ravens beat said was trending in the wrong direction. I guess Andrews and Sammy Watkins would probably be pretty interesting in that scenario. Yeah, that would that would be pretty interesting. And Watkins has seen like a Andrews usage has probably been one of the most disappointing to start the season out of anybody that we expected. Um, not getting like red zone targets either. Um, Watkins, I think, has, has been like pretty heavily utilized, probably more so than we expected. And yeah, I think Hollywood was kind of he was heading in that direction, I think, before the Chiefs game. He wasn't sure he was going to play. And then he kind of woke up Monday and felt fine. So uh, that's pretty interesting. I always like uh, checking in over here, uh, run the sim on the main slate, seeing if anything jumps out. Like Colin said, this information will get much better uh, once we get, you know, Saturday final ownership and news and, and all of that good stuff. But Chris Carson showing up in a fifth of optimal lineups across this sim is, uh, is kind of interesting to me. I mean, Chris Carson is just like always in this range. I guess last week he was a little chalky um this week i guess maybe semi chalky what how do you how do you think about chris carson in the context of a team that i'm always gravitating toward a, a rust double stack with yeah it's really tough probably the the hardest thing for seattle right now is their like play volume has just been so low and they've been getting there for sure on efficiency in the passing game but the play volume has been low even in the ot game kind of having a low play volume is a little bit concerning um, whenever I look at the Sims, like we've, we've got our own version of that, like optimal lineup percentage. And I think the, probably the biggest takeaway I ever have from that is just for almost all players, it's never higher than like 20, 25%, even if they're a player who seems like they're in like the, the smashiest of smash spots and the ownership often gets higher than that. Like, you know, Cooper cup, we have close to 30 right now. Maybe it comes down with Godwin grabbing some, but. Um, it does show you that in the lottery style tournaments where you need close to the optimal to win that uh, these, these players are definitely more popular than they should be. Right. And that that's kind of my takeaway with it, too, of just how I, I think I was talking about this with Brian on Wednesday, where a lot of the ownership over what's going to show up in the optimal or in the Sims is all narrative driven. Right. Where it's like. Chris Carson's going to pop in 20% because he projects well as a points per dollar player, whatever. And then he gets to 30% because some talents or some sites are really pushing him. And there's like this 10 percentage point of narrative premium based on what the mass says. And that's why for me, it just lately, it just feels so easy to avoid any of that mega chalk because you're, you're paying a really expensive premium for some narratives at that point. Yeah, it's like a combination of narratives or like, I just don't like the guy. Like right. um, like Chris Carson, I don't think he ends, like if you've got him 20% to be optimal, I don't think he ends up at that because people just don't really like Chris Carson. Like they're they're always, I mean, Davis is always trying to find reasons to give work to, you know, DJ Dallas or Rashad Penny or whoever it is. And I think there are some guys people just don't like. Like people, people just like Metcalf better than Lockett. So um, even if both guys maybe are within a couple percentage points as far as their optimal line of probability, there are certain guys that are just always going to be more popular uh, because either they've done it before, they've done it recently, or people just like them better. Seeing both Carson and then obviously Ceh with the cheap price tag this week, do you ever um, like in your hand builds? Would you ever toss in a Carson or Ceh as part of a double stack, uh, especially Ceh this week with the cheap price tag? Or is are you normally sticking to pass catchers? Normally sticking to pass catchers. Probably the the two hardest teams for me to do it with. One is like the Vikings. Because Dalvin Cook actually had a disproportionately high number of ceiling games in Kirk Cousins' ceiling games over the last two seasons. Um, so that, that one's a hard one for me to do and decide whether it's a double or maybe even triple stack it. I've also seen a weird Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill thing, too, over the past two seasons. And that one, I, like, I can't wrap my brain around it, so I never play it. But uh, it, it's definitely got there a few times. Yeah, I, uh, I had... Um... I'm blanking uh, Stuart from advanced sports analytics on last year. And we were looking at some of those correlations and it was just the Titans were such an anomaly that yeah. when the team did well, Brown, Henry and Tannehill would just all crush together. Yeah. And I just like, I still can't wrap my like brain around it. Cause it's probably a leak because I'm like, just taught that 
it's hard for a QB and a running back who doesn't have a role in the passing game to have like ceiling games in the same slate. And those are just anomalies, but it's like two years in a row, it would have, it would have been very profitable because people aren't playing that construction people onslaught the passing attack, but definitely not onslaught a full team. Yeah. Um, when you look at the game environments in the, in the team totals this week, are there any of these games with a less than 50 point team total that you think, uh, might have some untapped upside? Um, so yeah, less than 50 point game total. So we're, we're removing the Tampa game, removing Minnesota and removing yes. chargers and removing Baltimore. So the, the, yeah. the four best, the four yeah. best games. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's for sure questions about, uh, a lot of them. Like I, I want to try to double stack Josh Allen with Diggs and mm. either Beasley or Manny Sanders, just cause they're willing to go on the passing volume. Um, and then probably one of the biggest struggles I have is like someone like Daniel Jones. It, this is kind of the situation we talked about earlier where like, I don't want to double stack Daniel Jones. I don't necessarily want to game stack that game, but they have a, a 25, 25 and a half point total. The game total is approaching 47, 48 points. Um, he's got rushing upside as well. You can correlate individual pieces, but um, in tournaments, I usually end up just like opting out. But it, it, that that's one of the areas where I feel like it could be a leak where I can stack multiple pieces of a high total game, still play Daniel Jones, maybe skinny stacked, um, and I don't know. That's something I'm trying to work on a little bit this year. Yeah. And uh, this actually kind of ties back to our thing earlier about, um, you know, making sure that when you're hand building that you're still getting in, you know, as many projected points as possible. I like using this stacks tool here. You can go do individual. You click the game. You can then set up your rules for how much, who you want it to be. I put, you know, two wide receivers tied in here and then it'll output the little stacks here show you the overall uh, projected points and projected points per dollar. Make sure that you're not, you know, hemorrhaging too much uh, projected points. But like you said, probably don't want to double stack uh, Daniel Jones. If we get down there, we're going to see a decent amount of Shepard and Galladay. Uh, Shepard's been solid though this season. Yeah, it definitely has been. Uh, I always have like a tiny bit of concern with Ingram coming back that it just like distributes the targets like more broadly, but it definitely hasn't been the case. And I guess maybe at this point in his career, I shouldn't be super concerned about building my lineups around like with Evan Ingram in mind. For the, um, that Buffalo game, uh, did you say, is Josh Allen someone that you would definitely be down to, uh, to double stack or would you do skinnies with digs too? Um, I think double stack is like his price point. You got to get a pretty big output from him to pay off. Like he's, so with like Daniel Jones, like he could lose at the quarterback position by four or five points to let you win at the skill positions. Josh Allen, if, if you're paying his price tag, he's kind of got to put up that like 28, 30 point game that competes with Kyler and Mahomes and whatnot. And Buffalo specifically has just been pretty pass heavy above expectation over the last like year of play. And so I think I would probably try to double stack Josh Allen. I also we have like decent leverage scores on Manny Sanders. Um, not incredible, but like a top 15 wide receiver play. And so the fact that Diggs is I think sixth, as far as um, leverage scores at wide receiver position, the fact that both those guys are in the top 15 is kind of what draws me a little bit to them. Yeah. Yeah. This, and this, this will probably end up being like one of those games where you mentioned the, uh, the Philly uh, 49ers game last week where it's like, do I go with kind of like, a Diggs Gibson or a Diggs Logan Thomas mini correlation, or do I just, you know, pull the trigger and go with a Josh Allen double and a bring back? Yeah. Yeah. And all, yeah, for sure. And also struggling with like, do I try to get Diggs and Allen and Manny Sanders or do I just play Diggs as a one-off? You can still game stack a different game, use Diggs in the flex or use four wide receivers on that lineup, still get exposure to the leverage score of Diggs without having to like sacrifice the quarterback position. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, you know, I, I was writing up the, uh, the newsletter this morning and it does feel like this is going to be a pretty news heavy slate. Uh, so I would just say, uh, protect yourself against getting too anchored to stuff until yeah. we get all these updated projections because, uh, the slate feels like it could get flipped a few times. 
for sure. I think getting anchored is bad in general. I yelled at Davis last week. He's like, oh, I decided on Monday that I was going to stack this Cowboys-Chargers game. And I was like, well, it's it's Friday. And like, if you're not willing to change your opinion when the entire field goes to one game, I mean, I think he had to lay a swap off it anyways. But I was, definitely yeah. can't get anchored. I was laughing because when he, uh, when he, I was listening to your guys' podcast this week, and I think it was, he's like, yeah, I'll either, you know, I'm, I, I, he, he talks as if he knows exactly what he's doing. And I, it's, it's so tempting to do that. Um, but on the flip side, I, I, last week I was too scrambled and I was too, I didn't have enough time messing with the different combos and the, the lineups that I like that when I started to go put my correlations together yeah. and my, I, I was like running into dead ends and then I was panicking. So maybe there is something to be said for uh, trying that stuff out earlier in the week. Yeah. I'm a Sunday morning, like sit down at my computer from nine to one. I usually wait till Sunday to build. Yeah. Uh, that is do, how much do you have a lot of uh, content responsibilities on Sunday? Or are you mainly just updating projections and building your lineup? Yeah. Just for me, it's just the, any projection updates inactive type stuff. Um, so not, yeah. not on TV or, or anything like David says. So it's a little bit more free. Yeah. Yeah. That's the part I'm trying to like juggle all of those different uh, responsibilities. And then, you know, I, I think the the flip side that was a benefit for me last week is, you know, I, I reran the Sims, reran the projections there after lock. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, Michael Pittman is popping here without Paris Campbell. Hadn't considered Michael Pittman all week. I knew I liked Darrell Henderson bada bing bada boom okay now i have a mini correlation that i like obviously it worked out but that is one of the benefits to not having a lot of ideas in your head is you can really see it with a clear focus yeah yeah definitely i mean you don't want to go in with nothing but yeah. i think i think a fresh mind is better than deciding on tuesday how you're gonna attack the slate yeah um let's uh why don't we if there is late news i would say like if you're playing in like a a contest with DFS regs, like people will respond to the late news. But if you're playing in these larger field, like 10,000, 20,000, people will respond to major news, but they're not going to respond to minor news. So um, if if we have those situations this week that come out at the inactives, like people will um, not respond aggressively enough, in my opinion, to if Deontay Johnson's inactive uh, in these lottery style tournaments, they won't respond enough if T Higgins is inactive but they'll definitely respond if Dalvin cook is ruled out overnight. So it, it's all, it's all like slate specific, but I, I do think responding aggressively to late news in the largest field tournaments is still a big edge to be had. Yeah. How are you thinking about this slate from late swap perspective? Obviously last week was one of almost like a unicorn week for how good it was to go light on the 1 PM and then be really flexible. Uh, this week, obviously we have Seattle, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Los Angeles, and then you have Miami versus Las Vegas and the Jets versus the Broncos. Is this is this enough flexibility to go light 1 p.m. or are there just too many 1 p.m. games that you're going to have to have some game stacks early? Um, well, yeah, I mean, Mahomes could bury you, right? Right. Like, that's definitely in play if you just stack the late games. But, um, I, I mean, I think... I don't know if you necessarily have to build with late swap in mind this week because there are mm -hmm. good spots early and late, but I, like Lamar could have a huge game as well. You'd learn a little bit of information there, but I, I definitely think you have to be take, like if you have, even if you just have one or two pieces going in the one o'clock games, whether it's like a one-off wide receiver, you definitely have to be taking into consideration like what they did at their ownership, how other highly owned players did as far as like trying to figure out if you need to move off of things. Um, one one trend I could see unfolding this week more in the the higher dollar small field stuff is anyone who's behind thinking I need to pivot and people pivoting off of the Tampa Bay Los Angeles game to the Seattle Minnesota game and then all of those ownership percentages across those like wide receivers coming in pretty similar. Huh. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Um, and I is I don't even know if that's like inefficient at that point or not. It's Right. That's like a hard game of whack-a-mole. Um, yeah, it is. I was trying um, to look if, like, last week was pretty unique because Najee was going off in the early, like, lock. And so you, and Cooper Cup was going off in the early lock. So you knew both of those guys were expected to be some of the highest owned players in the entire slate. Um, Cup ended up varying based on stakes, I think, but they were, they were both pretty popular. And so you knew 
kind of what had happened at those positions beforehand. I don't know if I see that same thing this week, mm-hmm. although I am really struggling to decide what the field is going to do with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I guess Keenan Allen would be just the only other guy I could really see um, that was like exceedingly popular that could potentially give you like a key piece of information in the same way Najee and Cup did last week. Right. That makes sense. Uh, and, and for those two uh, late PM games, I mean, you, you have basically premium double stacks on every team, Metcalf Lockett, yeah. Jefferson Thielen, Evans, Godwin, and Woods Cup. Are are any of those ones where you would go premium double, or are you generally going to try to get the cheaper tight end or, or wide receiver three in there? I, I think you could premium double both of those. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'd probably be least likely to do it with – Russ, because I'm just worried about the play volume from mm-hmm. Seattle. And um, I think historically that Metcalf and Lockett, even though they both are probably, one of them is probably explosive in like 75, 80% of the Seattle games. Um, I'm not sure they've had two like pure ceiling performances too often together. Yeah. And then in that case too, then the next thing is, well, and then yeah, do you yeah. have a premium bring back or, 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 and then you're having to go cheap everywhere else or then is is the bring back where you're looking to get cheap on the other side yeah i mean that one of the things i'm like thinking about quite a bit this week and i'm struggling with how to approach it but is that scenario where um if what do you guys have van jefferson at do you have been this popular this week or no let me go look here what do you look at that yeah like go. i'm trying to think like if i double stack brady like is Van Jefferson going to be an exceedingly popular option where I should try to mix in KJ Osborne on Brady teams, even though there's no correlation there and just hope right. that he wins like the punt battle or me call Hardman. Um, if I was going to double stack Herbert, I could see some of those teams bringing it back with Michael Hardman, especially if you pay up for Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And so maybe you can differentiate there within the game stack where even though the individual players aren't, so popular they are actually very popular just within that game stack environment yeah i would only do this by the way in the like 150 dollars and above small field three max where people are consuming content definitely in large field still just stick to the correlations yeah that makes sense yeah i'm seeing you know 3.42 percent uh corey's seeing 6.9 percent on labs i'm seeing an average in my aggregate of around five percent so nothing to steam now until he gets the drooby bump on the pete's gp pete show um let's see here why don't we wrap up by building a lineup people love it when we build the lineups here we can uh build this one through the lens of uh a small field uh you know single entry or three max tournament by the way psa guys so the deposit kingdom uh league is full i accidentally had set up a recurring contest from last week do not enter that one i need it to go two weeks unfilled for it to disappear I was on the line with DK Assist. They say there is no way to manually delete this tournament. Can you believe that, Drewby? Their system will not allow it to be deleted. Just too good of a league if the people keep coming back and they they keep filling it. It's just too good. I mean, it tilts me so much because it says week two, GPT, 40 <laughs> people entered it. I'm just like, no, no. So anyways, um, let's uh, and talk through kind of when you are staring at a, you know, a blank lineup here. Are, are you thinking, all right, let's, let's pick our game. Uh, do we want to start with a, a correlation? Where, where, where would we begin here? I, I have most often started by sorting on the leverage column within the wide receiver position. So yeah. What are the highest leverage pass catchers on the slate? And then I'm often just, just like, I'm looking to see if any of those guys happen to be connected to the same game environment. And I'm not seeing quite as much of that this week as I was last week. I do see both AJ Brown and Julio Jones yep. with pretty strong leverage scores. Um, if people do chase Derrick Henry more than we have projected, maybe there's some upside there. But both those guys are pretty interesting. I was often stacking AJ Brown and Corey Davis last year. So that was one thing that jumped out. The other thing was just like Tyreek Hill, like he just has 40 point potential as much as anybody on the entire slate. So if like the field does pay for Dalvin, Derrick Henry, Tyreek Hill, just like Ross Ceiling is a guy just like I want to play almost every week. So those were the two things I guess I noticed. Yeah, uh, that sounds good. And uh, we got Eric in the chat. Uh, not that one. Where's his chat? Oh, he wants a, a Tanny 
AJ Brown. I mean, I don't know the Tanny Henry, AJ Brown. That is, that is full soccer Dave testosterone build right there. Um, you pick though, pick how you want to start this. Uh, so we, we can, we can start with AJ Brown. Okay. Let's do it. And am I getting too cute here? I, I've been loving the Jonathan Taylor, AJ Brown correlation. Talk, talk me off of, or rubber stamp my Jonathan Taylor play. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's, I always struggle with the correlation story there. I'll, I'll yeah. just say that, but I do think Jonathan Taylor individually is a great leverage play. Who's in a high scoring game environment. The team should likely run more this week and he's getting fed in the red zone. So just individually, I think he's a good pivot at the running back position. And if we can get the game to shoot out great. So when you say for that uh, secondary correlation with that specific kind of, you know, narrative story, I take it you're saying you would prefer your mini correlations to be two pass catchers. Yeah, I think I think usually, um, like a a running back one has a neutral correlation with just in the across all teams they have a neutral correlation with the wide receiver position. So it's yeah. not negative, it's not positive. It's just like it's not a bad thing for sure. It's just neutral. You could argue different types of running backs, or depending on their workload, maybe those correlations are stronger or weaker. I don't really have a point of view with Taylor specifically. So yeah. worst case, it seems fine, and maybe like they're just both good leverage plays. Right. The right. correlation's zero. In my in my head, this is Derrick Henry and Tyler Lockett part two uh this week. That's that's what yeah. that's what we're hitting here. Uh all right. You are up. You can, you know, complete your stack uh with AJ Brown, uh go a different direction. What do you want to do? Um, so I'm, I'm going to toss Julio in there as well. Okay. Then I'll go ahead and just, uh, I'll ping it right back to you because we're obviously playing, uh, Tanny yeah. with Julio here. Oh, you're going to, you're going to cop out and take the Tannehill play. I did. Yeah. I mean, I, no one, no one cares what I think, Drewby. They want it. They want your thoughts on this slate. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. I do struggle a little bit with the, the Tannehill, double stacks even though they were they were good last year they were very good to me so uh, i wonder I like, sometimes i wonder if it's the same thing as like the lock in that cap example but i think we're in a good spot yeah because i heard you talking about that with davis and you were mentioning how normally when you're doing it with Corey davis last year you're getting a, a cheaper price tag yeah uh although i guess at this price julio's a little or aj's a little cheaper than he would have been AJ's last a bit year cheaper and yeah i mean julio was that what he was had that touchdown call that was overturned so I mean, he would have had a massive stat line people would have been a lot more into him just if that one touchdown call had been overturned yeah and and if derrick henry does start to get a decent a bit more steam uh with dalvin cook uncertainty uh this should end up being like this reminds me of i think it was last year i don't know maybe week six or seven where uh dalvin cook was going to be mega chalk and then the kirk cousins double stack was just completely under own and jefferson went off i mean you could you could have scenarios like that where these guys go way under own relative to henry yeah so do me a favor we don't we can pivot off this in the future but just plug in like a 2800 defense and just so we can see what kind of yeah. average salary we're working with and i'm fine like playing a 2100 d or 3200 but just wanted to see what we were working with yeah we hadn't talked about d much uh to me it seems like we're gonna get Bengals and Titans at pretty big ownership this week. The the Bengals D and the Titans D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just based on they're the they're the cheap ones. They Titans uh, I can definitely see for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh hang on real quick, Brian. No, you you may not dupe us. This is a standing rule. Whatever we put in here, we got dips. We called it, and you have to do something different. Um, all right. Wh- who's it gonna be, Drewby? All right. Um I'll go with Saquon Barkley. Okay. All right. Talk to me about him. Not seeing as much ownership as I expected. I think, obviously, coming into the season, people are concerned about the opening workload. People are especially concerned about the workload going into the the short week game against the football team and ended up having big workload that week as far as snap share, share the carries. And so... They've got a 26-point team total. It's pretty nice. I think we're going to get the alpha usage from him. And the, the field doesn't seem overly popular there. 
I also think it potentially sets us up where if Clyde Edwards Hilaire ends up as the popular value running back, um, we're able to build a four wide receiver build and play maybe a $4,800 5k receiver that can outscore a CEH. And, um, we just got two solid running backs. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Um, I'm going to go ahead then. I would, am you have, put... would you like Saquon this week or would you have raw? I know the Sims like, uh, Chris Carson a little bit better. I think you're going to get more of a ownership discount on Saquon than you are Carson. Uh, yeah. so I, I like that play. We're probably uh, leveraged we... enough that like just playing the best play is probably fine, but, uh, right. I like Saquon too, just straight up. Right. Why don't we, uh, why don't we put Hardman in this lineup then? If we're going to try to get some exposure to that Chiefs game with how much salary spent, pretty impossible to get to a Kelsey or Hill. We're pro- we're not going to eat the CEH chalk, and then Hardman gives us exposure and a little leverage on on CEH there. Okay, I like it. Um, also, yeah, this would be a tough team because you're fading Tyreek Hill, probably. Uh, we're probably fading Travis Kelsey because if we click him in, then we're like stone punting two positions. Yeah. So I think we got to figure out what we're going to do at the tight end position. When you, when you put, uh, I, I'm just to double down on our running back wide receiver correlation here. Uh, you know, my mind always like, Oh, should we toss in pits, you know, on, as a other side of this, this game. But it sounds like that's not something you would necessarily force. Um, I don't think I'd force it, but pits is pretty interesting. Uh, so what would the salary left be if we use pits? That would give so us six K that's not bad, K, which is pretty solid. Cause you kind of have the option of like pits in six K like gauge is probably going to be out for Atlanta um, yeah. this week. Not that he's like a game changing, like slate changing Russell gauge targets have to be distributed, but it's a little, like a nice little bump. Um, if I wasn't going to go with pits, then I would potentially go with Jack Doyle. Oh, 3,400. You have game stack this another piece. Like I, I like to correlate the bad positions as much as I can. And I think he's a, a fine value as is. So it would be. And then if you do that, you can give yourself basically all of those 4 PM wide receivers to choose from in your flex. Yeah. Which uh, I think that that gives you a lot of flexibility because you can go Lockett, You can go Metcalf. You can go Jefferson. I guess your yeah. other option there would be like Pitts and Godwin or yeah, and then and then just change the D to something else. Because I, I definitely, yeah, the D is like the last thing I'm usually trying to figure out. Right. The only thing, if you do, if you put in the Godwin, you probably- Godwin, you could only move to Bobby Trees, I think, right? I was just going to say, who's the, who's the pivot if if you're behind? But Trees probably probably sounds good there. Yeah. Um, what defense would we do in the context of this lineup here? Um, who looks good? Yeah, it's, that's pretty ugly. Cause it is very ugly. Falcons was one of them that you could potentially do against Daniel Jones just with his past fumbling and turnover issues, but the Falcons is terrible and we've got exposure to Saquon, so that's probably too aggressive of a negative correlation there. Um, yeah, I think you're probably... I guess you could do the Bengals, day and, and then you have, I don't know what salary, if that salary flexibility allows you to get from Godwin to... It, get, it lets you get up to Thielen, uh, which would... Or you could okay. play Carson. Yeah. Or Evans. So yeah, that I think that gives you enough flexibility there. It's just I, if uh, it sounds like you guys don't have Bengals projected for that high ownership. Um, usually the D is pretty wide until something like obvious happens. Yeah, um, but I do think that's cards, I think, oh, cards D I have is like reasonably popular. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that works out, and I do like the idea of you know having your flex be able to incorporate one of those wide receivers I, late because it just gives you max flexibility yeah. there. Yeah, I guess I personally would probably do Doyle and then like a, a Metcalf or whatever 
I don't know what salary usage if you go with like the Bengals D and then Doyle, like can you fit who who's like the the stud wide receiver you can potentially fit there? Let's like, see if we do Doyle and uh who did you say at D? Bengals. Oh, so go real cheap. Yeah. Let's see. You can get up to basically everyone except uh the big yeah. three. Yeah, I guess you like don't have any late swap equity there, but you do get exposure. Like, I I, I like DeAndre Hopkins quite a bit this week. I like Steph Diggs quite a bit this week as one-off wide receivers. Right. Um, so. Yeah, and then you could, yeah, I think you could do that. Then you just like you said, you don't have any of the uh, the late flexibility. But I think that that could work. You could also, if you do go Doyle, like you could probably get rid of Taylor, and you could leave like a Carson placeholder there you could yeah. play madison if madison gets uh if cook is scratched stuff like yeah. that and I, I would say that's definitely one of the benefits of yeah like diversifying the three max a lot of times you may have like a core shell that you like and um it's just like okay do i want taylor on every team with the tennessee stack or you're right maybe put this one in as your main team because you like it the best and then the one that's a little bit lower stakes you swap out Taylor for Carson, you swap in digs for Hopkins. You've got like a little two V two with like a pretty similar shell and still most of your exposure to like this same game that you've identified as a good leverage game. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, Drewby, I really appreciate you, uh, chopping it up. Uh, where else can, uh, people find you? What other, uh, content can they find, but not on Sundays because that's when Drewby makes his We're work. Yeah. Working now. All of our stuff is over at daily Roto. You can follow me on Twitter at Drewby417. Awesome. Yep. Uh, follow Drewby link down below. Check out his podcast. Check out his showdown work as well. Uh, I have really enjoyed listening to, to Drewby and that podcast and trying to get better at my showdown game. Obviously, uh, subscribe to Run the Sims. If you guys haven't, if you liked any of the tools you saw today, you can get 10% off with promo code Pete. I will be back on Sunday morning for uh, an exposure ownership cram. Uh, we can get some final updates once we have more news. And I will also be here in about an hour and a half uh, for Splash Play. We have guest Hayden Winks joining us. So for Drewby, I'm Peter. Good luck with your lineup building. 